0: Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous' Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is January 24th, Thursday, January 24th, 2013. Today we are reading from Chapter 8 in the Big Book to the Wives, and we are on page 106 the last paragraph at the bottom beginning, we begin to ask medical advice. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. I think I forgot to uh, mention the reference number for yesterday, which was Wednesday, the 23rd of January. The share code for yesterday is 3740, 3740. Thank you. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision For You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I would now like to ask Irini to please read the 12 steps. Good morning. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, everyone, my dear spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I'm a very grateful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. The 12 steps. One. and 12. Having had a spiritual awakening, as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I thank you and I pass. Thank you, Adini. I'd now like to ask Margaret to please read the 12 traditions.
1: Our one to unmute, Margaret?
2: I apologize. Can you hear me now?
0: I can hear you well. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Janice. Good morning and vision for you. This is Margaret, compulsive overeater in Illinois. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for a group purpose, There is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. Excuse me. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass.
0: Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big books of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share We are sharing what the directions in the Big Book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the Big Book and we are in Chapter 8 to the Wives on page 106. And the order for the readers today, I'm sorry, I might have forgotten that To Penny C., Esther, Katie, and Deb W., and we're going to begin on the bottom of page 106 with a paragraph that begins, We Began to Ask Medical Advice. And I'd like to ask Penny C. to please start us out.
3: Good morning, this is Penny C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Frosty, Massachusetts. We began to ask medical advice as the sprees got closer together. The alarming physical and mental symptoms, the deepening pall of remorse, depression, and inferiority that settled down on our loved ones, these things terrified and distracted us. As animals on a treadmill, we have patiently and wearily climbed falling back in exhaustion after each futile effort to reach solid ground. Most of us have entered the final stage with its commitment to health resorts, sanitariums, hospitals, and jails. Sometimes there was screaming, delirium, and insanity. Death was often near. When we read these these, um, chapters to the wives and and then coming up, the family afterwards, um, it's such a good reminder to me of what I was like and what I don't want to go back to being like again, uh, all of this, every every sentence in this paragraph, I can relate so so vividly to, um, and and when it says here about uh, other what it, what it did to members of the family, you know, I I wasn't aware. I was I was so self absorbed at the time that all my screaming and and um, actions that I'm not proud of. I wasn't aware that my children had any 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 awareness. They were upstairs in their rooms, and I don't know what I thought. I, I it always um, amazes me that I didn't think that they heard that they were affected in any way, because I now I know that you know I just so everything was about Penny, and um, it was it was it was it was awful. That's all I can say. Back in this chapter, it says for every man who drinks, others are involved. Many, many others were involved in my overeating, and I didn't know it. Um, the last part there, death was often near. That that I, I never I never thought of myself as suicidal, but there were certainly times when, for instance, uh, one of my the first people from my nursing school class died at thirty three. Leaving three little children, and I went to the funeral feeling jealous of her, that she no longer had to deal with, with 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 the world, my world as I saw it. It was it was it was not a good place to be. And today, because I found the OA program, and because I continue to enlarge in my spiritual life. I don't I don't have to be afraid of going back there. I I I'm not. I just keep keep doing what I'm doing and you know, get closer and closer to my higher power and one of the ways I do that is to look forward and to listen to this meeting every morning. And with that I pass.
0: Thank you, Penny. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph?
1: This is Katie.
0: Go ahead, Katie.
1: Hi, I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater, recovered in Virginia. Uh, We began to ask medical advice as this freeze got closer together. Well, my mother took me to a doctor when I was in 7th or 8th grade, 12, 13 years old. I was taking diet pills, and, you know, (laughs) that does not solve our problem. These are physical um, solutions, and we have a spiritual and mental problem, not. the food is but a symptom of our problem, and, you know, this is what happens is our families get so enmeshed in our uh, our insanity that they think that they are all powerful and are going to solve our problems for us, and, you know, it just causes all kinds of um, hostility and animosity in the family, and then it's no wonder they are the very ones who scoff when we find recovery, because they've been through it all with us. And, you know, it, it appears to be just another attempt. So, you know, the money and the hours and the agony and the buying the special foods and the, doing all these things, um, you know, that our families are willing to do is exhausting. Um, because, as it says, each futile effort to um, reach, Uh, solid ground, it ends up in um, disaster. Until I picked up these spiritual tools and the steps and surrendered my will and my life to my higher power, I could not do anything. I could diet, but I could not stay stopped. So, um, you know, this is just showing us that we, uh, you know, affect the rest of our family, but... Um, it's not our family that's going to save us
0: in that all, time. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? It's Monica. Go ahead, and Monica. Leia. And then Leah. Good.
4: Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. We began to ask medical advice as the sprees got closer together. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to the doctors because uh, my knee is bothering me and I'm going to the doctors because I now have prediabetes. I'm going to the doctors because I've got aches and pains here and there. I'm going to the doctors because I'm over 200 pounds and I'm having all these medical issues coming up. And these are all parts, you know, okay? So now we've got arthritis acting up. Uh, We have prediabetes or diabetes. Oh, yeah, I'm going to the doctors also because I have high cholesterol. I'm going to the doctors now because I'm now a heart patient. You know, these are all parts of side effects of our compulsive overeating. The bad knees, the bad hips. So, yeah, we are going to the doctors a lot more as we, as we get older, you know, as we're getting older and this disease is progressing. And then I like the picture here as animals on a treadmill. We have patiently and wearily climbed, falling back in exhaustion after each futile effect, effort to reach solid ground. What a little picture there, you know? I'm the little hamster on the wheel going around and around with a new diet. Okay, I'm gonna try this new diet, and, and we're going around pretty good there for a while. Oops, we fall out of the cage. Oh, pick myself back up. Oh, well, maybe this diet will do it for me. Or maybe this will do it for me. Maybe these pills will do it for me. Maybe this new doctor will do it for me. And, you know, after a while, uh, you get, we get very, very exhausted. Totally exhausted and nothing's working and it gets brings us most of us have entered the final stage and the final stage for me was I was totally desperate nothing was working not the pills not the diet club not the therapist nothing and it was getting worse. The disease was getting worse. The binges were worse. The, the crazy, insane things I was doing with the food were getting worse. I had entered the fourth stage. But also with that brought desperation. And desperation brought me willingness and willingness brought me to the point that I, would, I was willing to do whatever I had to do. And in, in, in a, um, a big book meet, I heard, solution and recovery. It's here in the, in the big book. It's here in the process of doing the steps. And if you do this work, you can have recovery too. And with that, I pass. Thank
5: you, Monica. Go ahead, Leia. Thanks so much. Good morning to you, Janice. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, we're in Chapter 8 to the wives. So, you know, the loved ones of the alcoholics are now telling on the disease and, um, you know, bringing the disease out of the closet of what they have to contend with, living with people like you and me. <laughs> it says we began to... To ask medical advice as the sprees got closer together, the alarming physical and mental symptoms, the deepening pall of remorse, depression, inferiority that settled down on our loved ones. These things terrified and distracted us. Um, you know, you and I, we're told, have a disease that's cunning, baffling, and powerful. We also have a condition that never goes away it is chronic. We have a disease that's progressive, that means it always gets worse. And we have a disease that's ultimately fatal due to the complications. I mean, all you have to do is crack open a newspaper or turn on your Internet news report and read that obesity um, contributes to the highest uh, you know, health crisis that our society faces. Because at this stage of progression of the disease, the deterioration is on all levels. It certainly was for me. You know, I was deteriorating physically. I had high blood pressure. I had high cholesterol, and yet I was uh, a young adult. Uh, I had, you know, um, threats of diabetes, inability uh, to move about, you know, in my early 20s, as I should have. I was deteriorating emotionally. I had depression. I felt like I was going to go insane just out of my mind. Certainly uh, feelings of isolation and loneliness, uh, lack of intimacy with other people. Uh, I, was, I was prone to fits of rage, angry outbursts, temper tantrums. I had fears that crept up on me and haunted me day and night. I had this, a sense of impending doom and uh, suicidal thinking. Other than that, everything was great. (laughs) I was no vision for you. Let's put it that way. At this stage of progression, there is deterioration on all levels, emotionally, physically, morally, spiritually. I mean, my life was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. And you know what? I take everybody with me. While I'm going down the tube, anybody who loves me, anybody who lives with me, anybody who has to deal with me goes down the tube also because this declining condition of mine, this declining emotional condition of mine, this declining um, physical condition of mine, creates a burden on other people it creates a crisis for everybody involved so of course the alcoholic is powerless but so are the family members they're powerless also they're powerless also at this point you know thank god you know today we're reading obviously about the results of the disease but the message of hope here is that there are results of recovery And the results of recovery are exactly the opposite of what we read. The results of recovery is improvement in health. The results of recovery are improvement of our emotional status, of our mental abilities, of our spiritual capabilities. The results of recovery are what is known to be happy, joyous, and free. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Well, this is Janice, and
0: I'd like to comment on on this paragraph as well. You know, so here we're in Chapter 8 to the wives, to the wives. And the big book thought it was necessary to give us a picture and to talk to these people who are on the outside watching us. You know, I remember being told at one point that the watcher has a very difficult job watcher has a very difficult job because they have to stand to the side and watch someone deteriorate. Trying everything they can possibly try and nothing works. But they keep trying. You know, that loving, loyal person who loves the compulsive overeater has a very difficult job. A very difficult job. And so they finally get to the point where they ask Medical advice, you know, nothing seems to be working. Nothing seems to be working. And so now they go to the doctors and the sanitariums and the, and the hospitals and the treatment centers, and they start to look for help somewhere, somewhere, because what they're doing is not working. You know, and it, in, the, in the paragraph before, it says, usually we did not leave. You know, sometimes people would finally be driven to walk away driven to walk away but usually they did not usually they stayed and tried oh so hard to be helpful but there was nothing they could do there was nothing they could do and so the family members and I remember they did this for me too they would watch you know and, and what else does it say here depression and inferiority you know there's nothing worse than better than I I was bouncing off the walls, going halfway between one spot and another spot and and being like a crazy person trying to work my way out of this. One day asking for their help and the other day leave me alone. Don't, don't be paying any attention to what I'm eating and on the other side, help me, help me. You know, help me stay away from that, I would say. Help me stay away from that like they could like they could. So entering that final stage is such a difficult place for the family and the loved ones and the friends to watch this person because there was a decline going on here. Trust me. There was a decline. My physical health was declining, but my mental health was declining. I was being affected on all areas and becoming so desperate so desperate. But I had the mind and the body of a chronic, compulsive overeater. And so it was going to be progressive and it was going to continue. And no matter how much they tried, you know, they stood on the sidelines watching me and could do nothing. You know, what a difficult place I put them in until I found the solution and found help. And with that, I'll pass. Would
6: anyone else like to comment on that
0: paragraph before we move on? This is Christy. Go
6: ahead, Christy. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, A Vision for you. This is Christy, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and so grateful for that today. Um, You know, I remember back in 1991, uh, I walked into a doctor's office, and, um, you know, I'd been experiencing pain, and... um, (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it got a little bit more painful as the doctor weighed me, and I, to, much to my surprise, weighed three hundred and five pounds. And uh, you know, I hadn't been to the doctor for years. I hadn't been to the doctor for years because what I did not want to hear from the doctor is that I needed to lose weight. Great. Why don't you tell me to learn how to speak Greek fluently, Latin fluently, in three days? that might be an easier task to be assigned than losing weight. You know, you've got to lose weight. You've got to lose weight. Great. Thank you so much. How do I do that? Eat less, exercise more. How do you do that? I mean, that was just a foreign concept to me. And, you know, 1991, 305 pounds, uh, you know, I had delayed putting off going to the doctor for severe pain that put me in the hospital for a week, for a week, you know, with, you know, deadly complications, deadly complications from gallstones. And they wouldn't operate for a week. You know, my surgeon was afraid I would die. And, you know, it, it coincided with the time that my partner's mother, who happened to be a nurse, was, was visiting us. And she was appalled she hadn't seen me for forever and she was appalled at how I looked and you know my partner told me a few years later you know that they had talked about that specific visit and how sick I was and how morbidly obese I was and how that didn't help with anything I don't care what's going on that just doesn't help it doesn't help and um I said to her, "Who my partner, why didn't you say anything to me? You know, why didn't you express concern? And she looked at me like I had just said, why didn't you tell me I looked horrible before I walked out the front door? I mean, can you imagine? Well, maybe you can't imagine, but I knew. I knew why she never said anything. You would not have said anything like that to me. You know, you you would have walked around eggshells on me. You know, you would have walked around like you were in a minefield and you had no idea which landline you were going to step on. You know, one day I might be okay with, you know, I'm concerned about your health. And the next day, I you know, I might stab you with the fork I was using to eat. You just never knew what you were going to get with me. I never knew what I was going to get with me. And, um, you know, I mean, it was... You know, as, as sad and awful as that was, you know, um, it was another 10 years before I had a desire to stop eating compulsively. Before I truly said, I don't care what I have to do, even if it means giving up the food, I want to stop eating compulsively. And, you know, I unfortunately have the experience of watching both of my parents die from this disease. And it's a slow, painful death. It's not pretty. Both of them are admittedly compulsive overeaters. It's not a situation where, you know, they get to say whether they are or not they are. And uh, both of them have been in OA, and both of them are now rejecting the help that's offered to all of you on the line today. And, um, you know, it is not pretty to die from this disease, and it's not pretty to die from all of the endless complications that are a result of the disease we get that are related to morbid obesity. It is not pretty. And, you know, I get to be the sibling that says to my other siblings, I know why they can't stop eating compulsively. I know why they can't. I know why they can't lose weight. I know. I get it. You know, it's nothing more than to say I understand them. They're there, but for the grace of God go I. And I'm grateful that I'm on the other side of it today, just for today. Just for today, I'm not eating compulsively. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Christy. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on?
7: All right, I'd like to ask Esther to please read the next paragraph for us. Good morning. My name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. Under these conditions, we naturally made mistakes. Some of them rose out of ignorance of alcoholism. Sometimes we sensed dimly that we were dealing with sick men. Had we fully understood the nature of alcoholic illness, we might have behaved differently. Did you want me to continue?
0: Yes. Why don't you do the next paragraph, Esther? Good idea.
7: Sure. How could men who love their wives and children be so unthinking, so callous, so cruel? There could be no love in such persons, we thought. And just as we were being convinced of their heartlessness, they would surprise us with fresh resolves and new attentions. For a while, they would be their old sweet selves, only to dash the new structure of affection to pieces once more. Asked why they commenced to drink again, they would reply with some silly excuse or none. It was so baffling, so heartbreaking. Could we have been so mistaken in the men we married? When drinking, they were strangers. Sometimes they were so inaccessible that it seemed as though a great wall had been built around them. So, uh, uh, you know, up until these paragraphs, we have a a beautiful... (laughs) Maybe a sorted description of you know the roller coaster ride that characterizes life with the alcoholic or somebody like me, a compulsive overeater, and these you know first three pages so beautifully describe that experience, the painful realities, you know remembering that this chapter was written by the wives for the wives um this chapter essentially follows the same pattern as the rest of the big book where we had learned about our problem and then also in the chapter working with others, how to help other people. And and that pattern is first describing the experience so clearly and in detail so that they can identify in. I mean all these descriptions of, of you know the what life is like with the compulsive overeater, with the alcoholic, um, this helps the the wives, you know, identify in you know, um with the ones who are writing, you know, the the wives of the recovered um, alcoholics. These wives are saying, we can help you. We can offer you something because we've been there. And most importantly, we are no longer there. Our lives are different today. So up until this paragraph, you know, that's what the description is. But this, you know, first small paragraph that we read and then the one following that uh, points out to us that the wives, too, have made mistakes out of ignorance, just like the alcoholic made many mistakes and destroyed their lives because they didn't understand the nature of their disease. So this paragraph is, is asking us some pointed questions, which, and, and also the f- paragraph coming up, which, of course, in the classic big book style is going to, are going to immediately be answered. So as to give the spouse of the alcoholic the possibility to change how she thinks as well about the disease and how she relates to the alcoholic, so that she can, so she can live better, so she doesn't have to continue suffering the way she is, whether or not the alcoholic is going to recover. So th- this, we're going to see fr- from here on in that the spouse is also going to have to change her way of thinking and acting as much as the alcoholic does um, to to live better. She, she has um, as much ignorance about in, about the disease as the alcoholic did when he first came into the rooms of. Um, and as much as um, similar to the way I did not understand my disease when I came into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. And in my own personal experience, I could say that I have played the role of the addict and I have also played the role of the loved one of the addict. And so I find them to be very valuable lessons, you know, in this chapter and in the upcoming ones as well. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. Would anyone like to comment on
0: what was read?
8: This is Nicole.
0: Go ahead, Nicole.
8: Thank you, Janice. Good morning to you and good morning, Vision for You. Well, what a great two paragraphs here. I want to focus on the line, had we fully understood the nature of alcoholic illness, we might have behaved differently. And, I mean, we have heard it said many times before on this line that unless we know the problem, we cannot possibly apply the correct solution. It applies to us as the addict. It applies to our loved ones. And it applies to how we work with others, with other addicts, to really securely know the nature of our illness. Um, For me, it even reminds me that it's the only way to, to take step one seriously and properly If we don't know the nature of our disease, if we think that we can control this illness, we will not realize that we are truly powerless over this disease. And it makes me think, I was smiling on the inside when I was thinking about this line, at just the ridiculous thought of how we behave, how we throw things at the illness when we don't understand the illness, how we throw the diets at the illness, how our loved ones throw threats at the illness and how it just it just doesn't work. And I was thinking in my mind that if we were to imagine ourselves in a store and we see somebody, you know, just walking around breaking things and bumping into things and looking very careless and just the frustration I would feel looking at someone just being kind of reckless. And then if that person walked right up to me and stepped on my foot, how, how angry I'd be until I were to find out this person was blind, that they were bumping into things because they couldn't see them and they stepped on my foot because they didn't know I was standing there. And I thought to myself, you know, if if we don't see the true problem, we can become so frustrated and we can try to apply solutions that are really um, not working, just like a blind man. we We might get really mad at that blind man for doing the things he's doing but when we see, oh, my goodness, he's blind, that's why he's walking into things, we would start to have more compassion on him. Instead of getting mad at him, we would start to put things in place for him to not bump into um, someone or something. And, and I think about the frustration of the blind man, being, being um, the feeling of people being frustrated with him, and yet he can't help what he's doing. I love this so much because I am so thankful to know the nature of my problem. I feel like I've been let out of the dark and I walk in this marvelous light of just knowing, wow, this disease is serious. This disease cannot be battled with on any other level than on a spiritual level. It is the only solution for the problem at hand. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Nicole. Would anyone else like to comment on the on what was read? Yeah, could I share? It's Monica. Yes. Yeah. Who who is before Monica? Oh, hi. My name is Mara. Go ahead. Hi, um, my name is Mara. I'm recovering anorexic and compulsive overeater. I've just started listening to a vision for you um, a couple few weeks ago. Um, my sponsor told me about this program, I mean, sorry, about the meeting, and I really appreciate the focus on the big book and regarding, um, you know, understanding the exact nature of our illness. I was just thinking back, I've been in OA for many years, and I grew up with alcoholism, and I remember thinking as a little girl, what I do with food is just like my family members drinking, you know, who was so out of control. But then I reflected back, my son is now 31 years old, and when I was pregnant, I remember walking to work thinking, I have to stop doing what I do with food when the baby's born. I have to stop. For all those years, I had a little inkling when I was a child. I didn't know the nature of my illness. I did not know. And just even yesterday, I was glancing in the big book, no human power could relieve our compulsion. And I often still look, well, Do you have my answer? Do you have my answer? Because I can't make this decision. Do you have my answer? But you know what? It's a spiritual solution. And that's what I need to remember today. And thanks for letting me share and thank all of you for your sharing. With that, I pass. Thank you, Mara. Monica. Thank you,
4: Janice. Thanks, Janice. Monica, once again here. We covered compulsive overeater. The second paragraph here that we, we read here. This is being written by the wives. You know the those standing outside, those in our environment, those having to live with us, uh, and and all I could think of was, uh, wow, you know, this is this is what we are like. They're writing down here. They're giving us a picture here of what we are like. And it brought back to me, you know, here's the wise description of what we're like. And it reminded me of on page 21, the second paragraph, when they talk about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And aren't we so true? You know, for a while they would be their old sweet self, only to dash the new structure of affection to pieces once more. How many times? You know, don't do that. No, bring it here. All right, oh, make sure I don't eat any of that. Oh, will you go get that for me right now? You know, how um, how could men who love their wives and children be so unthinking, so callous, so cruel? You know, I did the same thing when I was in my food. Don't you come between Monica and her food? I was ugly. I was mean. I didn't want to have anything to do with my husband, my children. What were they thinking? What did I put them through? And then, you know, I'd straighten up for a while, and things would be better. Or they're asking me here, or you know, or in their heads, they're probably thinking, you know, why, 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 why? So baffling, so heartbreaking. But there is a way out of this, and it's called the 12 steps, and taking action and working them. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Monica. Well, this is Janice, and I'd like to comment on these two paragraphs, too. You know, what have we learned in the big book? We learned that selfishness and self-centeredness was the root of our problem. Was the root of our problem. And I think these paragraphs describe... So accurately and so well me in the disease you know selfishness and self-centeredness was the root of my insanity it was the root of my insanity you know and and it describes you know for a while they would be their old sweet selves well what happened to me when I was my old sweet self was in those periods where I still felt like I had some control I might be abstinent for a time I might be off of my binge foods. I might be away from the food that triggered the physical allergy. Because that was half of my disease. The physical allergy. Picking up that food and being unable to stop because of a physical allergy. And then I put those foods down and I feel pretty good for a while. And I might even be able to dig deep inside myself and be kind and loving to those around me. And they would get a glimpse of my old sweet self. But the day would come, the day would come, when despite everything I knew, picking up those binge foods sounded like the best idea I'd had in a long time. Despite obvious harm to myself, despite all my past experiences, I would pick up again. And then I would be gone. And then I would be gone. When drinking, they were strangers, it says. That old sweet self that they knew and loved would be gone. And they would be baffled. They would be baffled. How could she do that again? How could she do that again? Well, guess what? I was asking myself that same question. How could you do that again? There's nothing worse. How could you do that again? But there was an education going on here. You know, they would ask me, why? Why? Because it was so baffling and so heartbreaking. Well, I didn't know why any more than they didn't know why. But they were watching from the outside thinking, maybe this time it will be different, just like I was thinking. That sick, insane, baffling nature of the disease. And that that was the even worse part of the problem is that I had the mind and I couldn't trust my thinking. And my thinking would tell me, this time it'll be different. Sometimes there wasn't even that thinking. I would be driven to pick up again and again and again. And sometimes this last sentence, sometimes they were so inaccessible that it seemed as though a great wall had been built around them. Well, let me tell you, the illness built that great wall around me. And it wasn't until the solution could break down that wall that I could become human and loving and kind like my higher power had always intended me to be. But it was going to take a spiritual solution. And that's what we're learning about here. And with that I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs?
3: Yes, you did you have Penny say them? again. Go
0: ahead, Penny.
3: Hi. Of all the, the words in these two paragraphs, I can't help but focus upon the word illness. Illness. You know, I came to Overeaters Anonymous at the age of 47, and the only thing pretty much that I remember from that very first meeting is that a woman said, this disease of mine. And for the first time, I saw what my problem was, that it was a disease, I was later to find out that it was a spiritual disease, but that whole concept that I had a disease—I wasn't lazy, I wasn't—I wasn't inferior. I—I I, I wasn't all the other things that people labeled me, and I labeled myself. And I'm a nurse. I was a nurse. I mean, I've been a nurse for all those years, and never, never, never thought of, of compulsive overeating as a disease. In fact, I used to say to my sisters, I can remember clearly saying, "Isn't it a good thing I don't drink the way I eat?" Realize, thinking that my eating was was and my overweight was not really the pro- problem. You know, alcoholics had a problem, but I didn't. I I just, you know, I didn't I, a disease. I I just ate a little bit too much, and and I had again, I had no awareness of how it affected other people. I had to come to OA to find that, that out, and um, I just wanted to, to insert that. Thank God that I found out that I had an illness and then got into the big book and found out that since it was a spiritual illness, the only solution was a spiritual solution, and, and, and I found that. I pass.
0: Thank you, Penny. Was there someone else who wanted to share well, I would like to share. Good morning,
9: everyone. Yeah, this this is Robin, Janice. Can I okay, share Is that you? Go ahead,
10: and Janice? then Robin. Okay, I would like to share. Go ahead, Hello? and then Robin, after you. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Sharona from Israel, a Composible Eater. And just I this paragraph... Um, reminds me uh, of a situation that i was pregnant and i i and like at one at night i am i would i wanted to order um uh, i wanted to order burgers and fries and my husband was shocked and he he's not a thin person and he told me what are you doing it's too late do not order in at that that time burger and fries and he was just so helpless and someone t- told someone shared today and sh- and she told that being the watcher watching your uh, loved one harming themselves like they like I did and I'm um, you know I didn't see myself until I think I'm not recovered yet so I I still do such things but hopefully by this program I will recover and by the grace of God And with
0: this, I will
10: pass. Thank you. Go ahead, Robin.
9: Morning. This is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I'm reading this paragraph, and I'm thinking about the fact that this just doesn't happen once. (laughs) You know, we don't just recover and this kind of behavior goes away. Um, Many of us continue doing these things, maybe in a a more subdued way, but these are character defects that I have carried with me since I was a child, this selfishness and self-centeredness. And this is a good paragraph to remind me um, as I'm walking through my life and people are complaining about my behavior and I'm thinking it's their problem and they need to change. Well, guess what? Um, There's a good chance that that they're responding to something that I've done. And, you know, I'm reading these these uh, sentences, and for a while they'd be their old sweet selves only to dash the new structure of affection to pieces once more. I can be chugging along just great in my program um, being a new sweet self. All of a sudden I hit a wall, and I forget who and what I am. Um, I forget how to be kind and loving and my old ego steps in. And then I wonder why my husband or my partner or my friends are responding to me in a way that's uncomfortable. I think they've got a problem. Well, um, this reminds me to go back and remember who and what I am and a really good reminder to stay on my own side of the street who wouldn't respond to me the way these they're describing here. Um, when drinking they're strangers. And it, it for me you know when i'm in a uh, restless irritable discontent space i become a stranger sometimes i become so inaccessible that it seems as though a great wall has been built up around me well that didn't just happen and stop when i came into recovery i still do that to a certain extent not the way i used to now i'm aware of it and i have a chance to uh to recognize it ask for help and pull that wall back down, but it's a real good um, reminder to me that this program is a continuous program, that it's not a do it once and get it over with and move on. It's it, it, it's pointing out to me my character defects and how I can use this program to make myself more... Um, easy to live with, so that the people around me can go on with their lives instead of having to put me at the center of the universe. And, um, you know, as I hear people and myself complaining about things that the people around me are doing, it, it goes back to the earlier chapters where we're told how we can get well regardless of anybody. The only requirement is that we stay on our own side of the road and clean house. So, these behaviors that I see in this paragraph, as I watch them crop up again in my daily inventory, um, you know, I recognize them now, and I use this program um, to, to clean up so that I can go to bed with a clear conscience, so that I can know that the people in my life can trust me and um, believe that I'm there for them, that I'm reliable, and not that I'm going to whip them around by the chain the way I used to. So with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Robin.
0: Would anyone like to come? I'm sorry.
4: Go ahead,
0: Kim. Good morning,
1: everyone.
0: Um, Good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. It was so baffling, so heartbreaking. You know, we were baffled. Our families were baffled, too. You know, we talked a lot during this meeting about the consequences of being a compulsive overeater. You know, there's a big medical consequence. You know, diabetes, high blood pressure, possibly strokes. You know, and we talk about what that does to us. What does that do to a family? What's the cost? You know, the family has to pay for that. You know, I remember I had a friend that... You know her, her from her bulimia, her teeth were so messed up. The family had to give up vacations for a couple of years because they had to pay for all that dental work. You know, I had another friend that her esophagus was so damaged that when she was pregnant, the doctor was terrified that if she, with morning sickness, would throw up, her esophagus would burst. You know, we from carrying hundreds of extra pounds around, we're we're needing knee replacements and our and our um, mobility is limited. But you know, our mobility is limited. Maybe our kids now have to take on adult responsibility because mom can't get around. The husband now has to do a lot of the work because mom is debilitated. You know, those—that's why they're baffled. They're like, you know, if if you're having the consequences, if doctors telling you if you don't get your blood sugar under control, you might have to amputate your foot, and you keep on eating. What does that do to the family? What does that do to the children? You know, it's so baffling, it's so heartbreaking. Mom, you're doing this to yourself. This is not an outside thing doing it to. You. You're doing it to yourself. I want you to go to my baseball games, but you're too heavy and you don't want to go on the, on the, um, on the seating. Mom, we want you to go to the vacation with us, but you can't sit on the plane anymore. You know, Mom, I want you to be alive and see me get married, but at this rate you're going to be dead before I graduate high school. You know, it's so baffling, it's so heartbreaking to see that. These medical consequences, we look at it from our perspective, but this is looking at it from our family's perspective. To see someone deteriorate in front of them and be baffled, why? The doctor is telling you, if you only lose weight, you won't have to have your knees replaced. If you only lose weight, the diabetes will go away. If you only lose weight, these these consequences will go away. I We can't afford it. I have to get a second job because you, because of the cost of your medical care. This family cannot stay for a vacation because of the cost of, of your eating. I know for myself, with all the cost I paid on, on clothing, my God, I couldn't afford anything. So the family has to afford my, my budget for my clothes, and they can't afford the clothing for the children. So I think this is so essential that we look outside of ourselves as selfishness and self-centeredness, And what were the consequences to our family? And it was. It was so baffling and it was so heartbreaking and they felt so powerless. And that was because of my disease and what I I wasn't I was suffering from untreated compulsive overeating. And with that I pass. Thank you, Kim. I know I know there was someone else who wanted to share and I This is Judith in Vermont. Go ahead. Go ahead, Judith.
10: Thank you, Janice. Um, Judith, Compulsive Overeater. Um, a number of years ago, I was working in an alcoholism treatment center, and it was very common that a lot of the kids had alcoholics for parents. But the kid who touched me the most was a kid whose mom was a compulsive overeater, and he talked about things like going to the grocery store and immediately going down any other aisle than the one his mom was in because he didn't want anybody to know she was his mother. and. I think we can forget that how traumatic it is. And he was so full of shame about that, you know, that he would not cop to her being his mother. It was it was very painful to listen to. With that, I'll pass.
0: Thank you, Judith. Would
10: anyone
1: else like to comment?
5: This is Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Hey, thank you, Janice. Thank you so much. For a while they would be their old sweet selves only to dash the new structure of affection to pieces once more. Asked why they commenced to drink again, they would reply with some silly excuse or none. Again, it speaks to uh, the unpredictability and the inconsistency that our loved ones uh, have to live with when living with people like you and I. You know, uh, that's why it's a landmine. You never know, um, you know, who's going to greet you at the door, if you're going to get greeted. That is, um, you know, whether we are going to be in a mood to be social or whether we're going to be severely withdrawn and sulking and in silent scorn. They don't know. You know, they don't know. It does definitely, as as Monica, I think, alluded to earlier, speak to that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde uh, personalities within us. Uh, the text tells me on page 21, you know, he is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor, but in that respect, he is incredibly dishonest and selfish. He often possesses special abilities, skills, and aptitudes and has a promising career ahead of him. He uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself and then pulls the structure down on his head by a senseless series of breeze and that's exactly what happens and when we pull that structure down it not only topples upon our head but it topples upon the heads and lives of those around us you know I when I'm reading these paragraphs this morning I certainly you know am feeling for my parents who had to trudge this road with me Uh, they did not understand the depths to which this disease would take me I didn't know that I know there was something very, very wrong that was going on, my my urgency and desperation to continue to force my fists into bags and boxes, but I did not know what I was up against. I certainly did not understand the depths to which this disease would take me. I came here destroyed, but my parents also for instance, did not know the depths to to which this disease would take me. It says sometimes they were so inaccessible that it seemed as though a great wall had been built around them. Again, when we're in the disease, our primary lover-friend relationship is with the contents of a bag and a box. We are emotionally unavailable. We're checked out. We have no tools for living. Our only tool, I can speak about myself, I'm a real compulsive overeater. I don't know about your disease, but I know about mine. My tools for living, my interpersonal skills were perfected with a fork and a knife. You know, the 12 steps are a design for living. They're a set of principles that taught me how to to live how a human being should live and if i could live by these principles and implement these steps in my life i would be peaceful and content i would not need to make love to the contents of bags and boxes and relate to food as a friend and a lover i would be freed from the things that used to enslave me and make my life miserable and instead be able to have a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Well, I see it's 7 o'clock, so we're going to close here today.
0: Um, Thank you to everyone who has shared. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And Katie, would you read that for us?